Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing great, Eric. How doing are good. you? Doing good. How, how are you, Eric? I am doing fantastic. Uh, John and I were talking earlier right before the show and we're both got some allergies things going allergies on. Allergies kick in. Oh, yeah. But I'll, I'll take it, John. That means spring is here, right? <laughs> if winter's I just over, drink more wine now, Eric. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. He's also allergic to wine. He didn't. <laughs> oh, I've, he didn't. I've, I've heard that really. No, no, no. I'm not allergic to wine. Nope. <laughs> Part of the problem. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Solution I'm, for everything. That's right. And the voice you're hearing right now, that is Jeff Savlov. Uh, and he is a guest on the show today. Michael, why'd you bring Jeff on the show? Well, we brought Jeff on. Well, first off, Jeff, thank you so much for coming back on with us. Uh, we, we, we brought Jeff back because uh, he, he was a guest on, I think, episode 43 and 44. We did a, kind of a two-part podcast uh, with Jeff, and um, he talked about raising children in the context of of family business success, and probably one of our favorite podcasts that we did. And you know, in talking with Jeff um, since that podcast, he there's, he just is sort of a wealth of knowledge as it relates to a lot of these topics. And so we thought it would be a good time to to bring him back in. And today we're going to talk about governance and the enterprising family. So, so uh, Jeff, uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So I wanted to start off because we talk about governance. This is something we talk to a lot of our families uh, about, and we often find there's maybe a misconception around governance as it relates to the family. I think when people think of of governance, they think of it in more of the business context. So maybe you could start off and really discuss sort of how you think of the concept of governance, particularly within a family. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, often people hear governance, they think of a bunch of suits in a boardroom, right? Really formal, giant, right. multi-billion-dollar corporation, and that's kind of the traditional thing. Um, but the truth is that uh, you know governance. You know, think about. I like to use the example of the Constitution of the United States, right? In the original framers, you had a bunch of people. They all wanted something new and different. They wanted to create something, and they needed to figure out in writing how is this going to work, right? Who's in charge? Who makes decisions? Where does money come from? How do we raise money? How do we spend money? How do we make big decisions? Who's part of this thing? Who's not part of this thing? And they had to put it all down in writing for the U.S. Constitution. And really, that that kind of uh, metaphor, analogy, um, works for businesses in general, right? Businesses in general have to figure out how they're going to do what they're going to do, how they're going to go about it, make decisions and all that. And the same is true for, for families. And it's true for families that have operating businesses. It's also true for families at a certain level of, of wealth. And it's not easy to define exactly what that is, but at a certain level of wealth, um, there's complexity as if it were a business. You need to develop leaders. You need to figure out who's going to make decisions. You need a vision. Right? The Constitution of the United States is great on vision, and it's important for, for families sharing assets in terms of their governance to really get clear on uh, what is the vision, what is the big picture, and then how do we go about filling in, in the details. Um, a definition of family business governance, and this is specific to an operating business, but I think it it really relates well to just legacy wealth families, 
is that it's the method or system of sharing the rights and responsibilities of a family business or family wealth with its various participants, including owners, managers, and family. Yeah, I mean, that that's a really, well, it's a very in-depth definition, but I think a really good one because particularly, and we have a lot of families within our platform that that probably have to deal a lot with that, with that complexity where they may have a, an operating business, but they may have certain family members that are involved in the business. They maybe have other family members that uh, aren't active in the business, some that don't own it at all. And so I, I would imagine this governance creation, particularly when you start adding in business entities and you're looking at a family in its entirety and trying to implement these governance plans and how to lay out these decision this decision making process that's probably a pretty difficult endeavor i would imagine right yeah right the complexity is there it's all the complexity of any you know any business that's not a family run business and then you add in the the family piece right you have this people that are sharing this whole emotional relational life um, and they also have a shared economic life. So it's all the complexity of business when there is an operating business, uh, but you have that additional layer of family. And the family needs governance. It's not just about how to run the business. I'm all for, you know, fiduciary boards, uh, you know, uh, boards of directors and advisory boards. I think those are really great and important. At the same time, there needs to be some, you know, guidelines about how family interfaces with the business, who gets to be involved, who gets to work there, who can own, who doesn't own, what are the rights of people who don't own, um, and what are the rights of people who own but don't work there. All of those elements can get really, really complex and can really cause issues if things aren't laid out. So going back to the United States Constitution, it's really a great example of how do we set up a structure that can help us you know, serve our vision. And the vision was to have, you know, a new country and have to have a democracy and not have a king and not have it ruled by religion and to have a free press and all these things that are part of America. People sat down and put their heads together and it wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't easy for them starting a new country and it's not easy for any family to do. But to really put their heads together and say, what is our vision? What are we looking to achieve? And let's get really specific about how we're going to set that up and let's put it in writing so that we can be clear with each other and be transparent and all have the same set of guiding principles and ground rules. Well, you mentioned putting it in writing, and that, that I think, is, is an important component as well. And, and we talked on a few podcasts ago about family mission statements and family legacy letters, and you can even turn those as family constitutions, similar to your analogy with the U.S. Constitution. But talk a little bit about, if you can, the process that families maybe undergo to to put that in writing, I assume based on what you just said, you would recommend that this this governance plan get written down in a in a formal document. Absolutely, I do recommend writing it down, and I think in uh, part two of this two part uh, you know podcast, we can go a little more in depth into some of the specific steps. But I do recommend that that they write it down, and it's as simple as you know getting together. Um, I, I like to, so we'll we'll definitely hit on that, and whether it's you know this part or the second of the two parts, we'll, we'll get there. Um, I think something that's worth talking about um, right before that is this idea of, of toxic informality, which is a, a term that I've coined that I think really helps justify the need for a constitution and, and writing it down. And, you know, when you have family members, right, who are related in some way and also owning and leading and 
working in a business together, um, there can be a level of informality, especially in the first or second generation, right? It's parents and kids all kind of jumping in together, just trying to make this thing work. As it gets bigger and you get to the to the third generation, the informality of those first two generations can become sort of a culture of, hey, we'll just kind of figure it out on the fly. We're all family. We'll make it work. Well, as you get from parents to kids and then you get to the third generation, the cousins, cousins, you know, now you have other people marrying into the family. They don't know each other as well. That kind of informality can easily lead to misunderstandings and um, and 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 just a lack of alignment in expectations that can hurt feelings and family relationships and can also have really devastating effects on the business. And so governance is really the cure for that kind of toxic informality. And it's about being deliberate and being intentional and being purposeful. You know, in terms of writing things down, it, it can start as simply as just thinking, what, what is the vision? And can you, can you write down your vision? I do work with families on vision statements and I use, you know, vision and mission and purpose and value statements from famous companies like Google and Caterpillar actually is a really interesting company. And so I take these examples from big companies, family, family companies and non-family companies and just sort of look through those various aspects and then help families sit down. And that's a great first step is what is our vision? What is it we're looking to achieve? Do we want to take one business and make it really big? Do we want to become an enterprising family? So where you have a family business is really a, a single operating business that a family tries to grow. A business family or an enterprising family is really when the family says, we've had some success in business, but now we're going to take our assets, we're going to share them, and we're going to get creative. We're going to go into different industries, completely different businesses, and get really creative. But the thing is, we're a family, we're being entrepreneurial together, and we're looking to transition our wealth across generations with kind of creative entrepreneurial abilities. And so to put down that kind of vision of what you're looking to achieve, and the mission of how you're looking to achieve it, and to write that down, is a, is a very simple first step in the process of writing down what this is all about. And that was, wow, that, that was that was great with some of the thing. I mean, it's interesting when you bring in sort of the business um, governance and, and mission statements back into the family. I mean, again, that's sort of where we started, where most families are used to thinking about governance in the business context, but not necessarily in the family context. Uh, so that was great. Um, one other yeah, question. I, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Well, just that, that, yeah, that, that's, I think what you, you picked up on a, one of the most important points was people think, you know, the, the suits in the boardroom and how to run the business, but there's this whole aspect to the family and how the family interfaces with each other and the business, which can include, you know, teenagers who want to work in the business one day. They need to be, you know, they, they need governance that tells them how do you learn about the business and how do you try it out, you know, in summers uh, and do you need to go to college? Um, before you come in and then how will you be treated when you come in like that that's an element of where the family meets the business that's so crucial to the success or to the kind of ugly situations that happen in families when this stuff isn't isn't there yeah actually we had a call with a, a new client of ours uh, this morning actually we we're talking about what he wanted to do with his assets and his, his, his son and his daughters are fairly young I think they're early teens and even a little younger than that. He's already talking about getting them involved with owning real estate with him in Putacana area, <laughs> Dominican Republic. He's got some real estate down there. So he's already thinking ahead, how do I get my children involved with my successes? And he's moving assets around to do that. So it is a fascinating conversation to have with families. And the, and I agree with 
you, I'm assuming Michael agree, the earlier you get started with that understanding wherever everyone's going and, and whether they you know want to be involved or not, it give them the option to be involved and to take part in the family enterprise. It's, it's a fascinating approach. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that example because governance, let's fit governance into that. Um, it'd be interesting to know if that client who's involving the next generation in sort of real estate in different parts of the world um, is, is the senior generation gifting money for them to sort of take risks with and who if those risks work out, does the money get paid back? If they don't work out, does the money get paid back? Or, you know, is it a gift? Is it a loan? And and the what I call toxic informality could be as simple as, hey, I'm doing really well. I want to give my kids some money to 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 take some risks in real estate. But where it becomes problematic is if there's very different expectations about those kinds of things, whether it's paid back or not, who reaps the rewards, if it grows exponentially. And it's just it's helpful for certainly in, in non-family business, but especially when family relationships are involved and misunderstandings could really cause rifts in families to have that stuff papered up and, and real clear. Yeah. That, now, one question I had, Jeff, what happens when this isn't done right? I, I, I would imagine you've probably come across in, in your practice maybe some families that didn't have this uh, buttoned up and written down. What, what are some of the consequences that have that have come up as a result of poor governance. Yeah, yeah, or no governance at all. Um, yeah, no. it, you'll see various things like, you know, family members can enter the business even when they have um, no value, no ability. They're just sort of there because they're family. There's no policy about who gets to work there, which would be a form, a simple form of governance as a family employment policy. So you have family members who are there and they're getting paid and creating resentment among non-family and hardworking family because uh, there's real no, no policy there. Um, the, the, the family owners uh, might not have agreement about what their vision is, what they're trying to accomplish. And so you have family members pushing non-family executives in different directions. Uh, nobody really knows which way to go. Um, they can't make important decisions as an ownership group. And so the conflict can destroy the business or the wealth. Um, you know, again, this isn't just about operating businesses. When family wealth is trans, uh, transitioned through trusts, trustees and beneficiaries can get in horrible lawsuits at, in the worst case or just really rough disagreements and tension between trustees and beneficiaries because it's not really clear what the purpose of the trust was. Uh, you, you know, trusts are often written without the level of clarity that's necessary to really help a trustee know how they're supposed to handle this and for a beneficiary to know what they're to expect. Um, Non-working owners um, might demand distributions because they have a piece of paper that says that they own something. Meanwhile, they're looking at family members who are working owners and they want to put the money back into the business, but they're getting a good salary. So the non-working owners are like, hey, you guys are getting a good salary and you want to take what could be dividends and put it into the business, but I want some money for what I own. I'm just sitting here getting nothing. Governance can address all of those things, but it involves getting the family together thinking about all these different what-if scenarios and putting something in writing. And it, it should be a living a living document, anything that's put in writing from the vision, which shouldn't, you certainly don't want to change your vision every quarter, but any of this stuff should be able to be revisited and changed. But it's really a matter of saying, well, what do we want to accomplish? How are we going to go about it? Can we agree on the basic ground rules of it? And there can be some tough conversations, but not having them causes all of the havoc of the examples I just listed and plenty more. Yeah, one of the one of the challenges I'm sure you'll agree when you get G one 
passing that business asset or or company to to the children. That leadership position becomes a very important one from from a governance standpoint. When you have multiple members working for the for the company, who picks that next leader? Is that a challenge that you see in a lot of these governance strategies? Because because we bounce that all the time. We, matter of fact, we just did a leadership podcast with a very good client of ours, and he walked us through how he approaches it. But that's got to be one of the toughest challenges we see anyway. How do you pick that next leader? I'll give you a personal story. My mom picked me out of all my brothers and my sister after her passing to run the estate. And I looked in the mirror and said, why me? Why did she pick me? My brother's pretty smart. My other brother's pretty smart. But parents have a sense, I think, on who has the courage, the stamina, the whatever it takes to be that next leader. Do you find that to be part of that equation? Yeah. So John, in your situation, you didn't know until your mom passed that it would be you or you knew? No, I knew. Yeah, I did know. You did know. Okay. Did your brothers and sister know? Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of surprised them a little bit. And in my case, it it didn't turn out bad at all. But my question is, how do you pick that next leader? Who, how do you, how do you have that discussion? I guess when you're alive and you're in front of all your children and they're going to be the next generation of, of business owner to the family. How do you have that discussion? Yeah. So, and that's, that's, a great question. And it's, it really, the answer is governance. Let's have a process yeah. of how we're going to determine one, if we even want a family leader, or if it's time for a non-family leader, as a family grows and grows, it's harder to have uh, people who are born into the family who magically have the ability to be a, a, Leo, a CEO of a, a larger and larger uh, you know, company. And so um, the one decision is whether or not to even go Stay with family versus non-family, um, and that's a whole conversation and, and something that can be talked about regularly. And then if you're trying to have, if you value having a family leader, um, you can get real clear on what the process is. You know, uh, the fa- it starts with the family employment policy, which could be go to college, get a degree, um, get a job outside our company, and get a promotion before you even come in. That can weed out some people from joining the company and and leadership in a way that really brings the cream of the crop. Uh, And then you can have, um, you know, a whole set of processes for selecting the leader. I I love uh, when there's a a board of directors or even an informal advisory board, which doesn't have the fiduciary legal teeth of a board of directors, but can be a, a wonderful group of outsiders that are neutral and are there to help assess leadership and future leadership. Um, and more than one family member can openly try to develop themselves into a leadership role. And you can have with, with you know, whether it's through HR or outside consultants, a real process of assessment and development and coaching. And you can have two or three people if they're interested, but have it a, an objective process with outside advisory board members and other folks who are helping assess and make these kinds of determinations so that it's not emotional it's not something that seems random, but there's a process that's in writing that anyone could sort of look at and say, hey, I'd like to put my hat in the ring for this. And you've got to be proven to even get into that sort of a, a leadership track. But there are ways to sort of think it through and formalize it so that anyone can know what the process is and assess to see if they're capable of it. I'm glad you brought up the, the that outside advisory board concept, uh, Jeff, because I was always 
uh, that was going to be one of my questions is do you, do you have outsiders that maybe have an objective perspective on whether it's a family leadership uh, decision or helping to build that governance um, you know maybe it's in a, within a family business do you find that families tend to be more open to that or do they view that as being in more intrusive into the family's decision making process as it relates to building this governance plan yeah another excellent question it comes up all the time i'm often certainly the first generation often feels very protective of their baby especially if it was a single entrepreneur who started the company and this idea of a advisory board sounds like i did all this work and now i'm going to let a bunch of people i don't know form a board and tell me what to do that's often the first reaction but with some education and i often like to have clients who are considering this especially if they're skeptical talk to other families i'll introduce them to other clients who have instituted fiduciary legal boards and advisory boards, informal advisory boards. And when they talk to them, often they'll take the step of an advisory board, which isn't sort of baked into the legal documents and be so happy with the results that they'll go to a fiduciary board. And and most families overwhelmingly wish they had done the fiduciary board earlier because the bottom line is the family ownership group can have a you know a, an emergency meeting and vote somebody off the board if they think something is happening that they're really right. against but th- that's that's the kind of worst case fantasy scenario people need to hear so that they can they can know I can always vote the board out because I own the most or whatever the truth is they just need to hear that up front to get them to go for it once they go for it they realize this isn't a group of people who are against me this is a group of people when done right it's almost like your own little consulting firm there are people there that are going to keep you um, honest about your strategy. They're going to, you know, whether your top management, your CEO, your top leadership team is family or non-family or both, a good, a good board is going to keep them honest and, and accountable. And, and it's, it's not adversarial, but a very collaborative kind of a thing. And it's a real, um, it, it gives a lot of peace of mind to the senior generation um, when they do it. But there is often some trepidation and fear of sort of losing control of what they've created. Yeah, I can imagine that that coming in. Uh, no, no, I can even imagine it in, in G two as well to some degree. I, yeah. I, but I I agree. I think maybe G one would have a more often than not a more difficult time uh, maybe coming to grips with that. But I, I I would think that that would be important to have that outsider's perspective. Maybe particularly if there's a a family business to be able to you know get their input in terms of what what they would want to see in terms of a a family member that maybe is coming into a business, as an example, the, the, the skills or the education or the experience that they would have, uh, it would probably be good to get their perspective as an outsider, uh, as opposed to a family member directly. Well, you'll probably agree with me that when you, when you look at the companies that are out there, I've been, in, I've been in the business 36 years now. I've never have come across a company that I've worked with that had anything close to a governance strategy. Do you find that to be true? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was often a loaded question. Case. Yeah. Um, often it is the case. However, um, as I sort of move up in years and I'm doing this longer and longer, I am brought into situations where families have been exposed to this. I think in the last 10 or 15 years, these kind of topics um, and organizations that address these kinds of, of topics um, have really grown. And so more families are knowing about it, hearing about it. They, they've seen ugliness in previous generations. Um, I, I've seen clients that are really successful 
um, but they came from families where it all fell apart and they don't want to have they don't want it to happen again. And so I'll get a call from somebody who said, you know, my wife and I both came from broken families in broken family businesses. We're doing great because we're entrepreneurial. We have three kids. Can you help us to put in the governance so that we don't go through that again, which is wonderful. Um, and so you're seeing more of that. But um, it's the, the toxic informality I mentioned. Families start off really informal. And when they are fortunate and they work hard to have the kind of success in business um, that, that they're shooting for, you know, it's uh, if things get get tricky and governance, you know, it's, it's just such a crucial piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's, it definitely is. And, and I think we're at a time, uh, Jeff, for this particular episode, but we're going to hopefully have you on for part two here. We're going to start that one up um, for next episode. We're going to get in a little bit more detail, I guess, on maybe how families can sort of think about these governance plans, correct? Excellent. Yeah, I look forward to that. Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Gentlemen, this was a fantastic podcast. I am looking forward to part two. Uh, Michael and John, great pick as usual, bringing on a great guest uh, and having that discussion. Thank you so much for doing that, Jeff. Thank you for joining us again. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.